Welcome to Extra Room with me, Andy McCarroll, and on today's show we will be discussing new psychological horror film, Double Blind, which hits cinemas this Friday. And it is my honour, my pleasure, my privilege to welcome my guest today. He is the director of Double Blind, as well as the fantastic Gridlock. He's a disciple of John Carpenter and the comedy stylings of Brendan Schaub. He is Ian Hunt Duffy. How are you today, sir? What an intro. Th- thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm good. The comedy stylings of Brendan Schaub. Wow, okay. Yeah, I think we met there at a gig that I think we'd both rather uh, pretend we didn't attend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are back in the good old days, I guess, yeah. Um, being a, a first-time director, especially having done your short, which was so well-received, you would think movies is kind of this, this seamless next step. Obviously, that doesn't appear to be the case. I believe you even started your own company as well off the back of that. What was that transition like from short films to feature films? Yeah, I mean, it was a long journey, I suppose, between getting the shorts and making that leap to the first feature. I mean, it wasn't hugely different in terms of, you know, the craft. It's still the same filmmaking techniques that would have been from a short, but this would have been the longest time I'd filmed anything before. So it's just keeping that energy and focus up for that long period of time. Now, that being said, we only had a 23-day shoot, so it's an incredibly tight schedule. So that was another thing. We were always rewriting or, you know, having to adapt the script as we went to try and make those days. I was constantly on the phone to the editor, Colin, or the writer, Derek, just saying, okay, like next week we've got this scene. Is there a way we can do that more economically or, you know, sure? So that's something you don't have to deal with on shorts, really. Like you're not constantly adapting on the fly, you know, so... Just on that you were saying about changing the, the script as you were going, like you hear the premise of the film, you know, they can't fall asleep or they die. Obviously, the first thing that springs to mind is, is Nightmare on Elm Street. You've obviously got the, the pharmaceutical end, you'll think Resident Evil, and then obviously the, the Thing as well. I think it was a big influence on you too. Going through that, do you actively kind of pick out, okay, that's a bit too close to this or a bit too close? And you're worried about kind of avoiding the cliches and, you know, basically plagiarizing somebody else? I mean, I, yeah, I try to avoid cliches, but no, in terms of, references i mean i think we've probably worn our references on our sleeves a little bit like in this film i don't mind tipping our cap to the tarantino or even recently Jeremy, she's given a talk he's like you know steal from everyone steal from the best but acknowledge it like you know so uh yeah john carpenter was definitely a big influence and I, we weren't just trying to rip him off as such it was just if they were you know trying to evoke that same sort of tone or atmosphere you know one of the, the lines I have in my review, it kind of it skirts the line perfectly between a kind of a, an homage and something that you very much come away thinking this is an Ian Hunt Duffy film. It's very kind of uniquely your own. And, and on that as well, like has your experience changed from like, you're, you're watching films now as a, an audience member and then as a filmmaker, even like from my very small rung on the ladder, watching a film, you know, critically for want of a better word, I do find myself looking for extra things in it that maybe I wouldn't like not just enjoying it for enjoyment's sake. Do you find yourself okay, that got a good reaction in a cinema or, you know, I would have done that a bit differently or I'd like to, to take that for my next one. I mean, I, I would always try to, and even my wife asked me, and she's like, hey, can you enjoy this? Because I might point out, oh, that was a great shot or, you know, oh, that was really well cut. And she's like, can you, are you able to switch your brain off? I suppose, you know, the directing hat. Uh, I don't think I am, but I, but I, but that adds to my enjoyment of it. You know, I appreciate a well-made film and the craft. Like, you know, as I said, if you see a cool sequence, um, it doesn't take me out of the story necessarily to be able to recognize that, you know? Um, but no, I'm not necessarily going, oh, that got a great reaction. I've been, I'd be lying if I said, I'm, I am a bit of a magpie. Like you're always looking for inspiration and, and visual references or, you know, uh, for, for projects. So yeah, I, I keep a journal of cool shots or if it was good score or sound like, you know, you're just trying to keep collecting things like shiny things like a magpie. To, to to add to the and then you know that might be a good reference for something later on you know 
you're saying that about your wife. My missus actually said that last night. We were watching something and she turns around and goes, that's a Dutch angle. I shouldn't know that's a Dutch angle, but I know that because you keep saying it every time it happens. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Visually, I think the film is absolutely incredible. Like every penny of that is up on the screen. And again, part of my review is like, this looks like something that had a $100 million budget. Unfortunately for you, it, it didn't. Oh, well, thank you. How much of the look of the film was, was important to you for that? Because, you know, obviously being essentially a one scene setting, you have to make that a kind of you know, it's a cliche to say that it's a character in and of itself. Like, did you come in? Okay, I, I want to have the, the you know the tree in the middle. It has to look a certain way, or did that evolve over time? I knew that. Yeah, I'd have to have a really strong vision for it going in, especially because it was one location and because we'd have a tight schedule. So months and months in advance, I did like a lot of directors prep myself. As I said, the magpie grabbing references, pulling together a lookbook from like films, photography, art anywhere I could get visual influences and, and really kind of pull it all together into like a lookbook or mood boards to kind of, you know, color patterns and, you know, composition shot ideas, just so I could put this together and then share this with like the cinematographer, the art department costume as a, not a Bible, but like a foundation of going, this is what I'm thinking. And then they would then build upon that. Like this was the foundation that we could use to build upon that. And everyone would then collaborate and contribute and, and add to that. But as you said, because it was one location, we, we really wanted a specific look and feel to it. Um, like Blackwood, the pharmaceutical company, I always pictured them as this like really global brand, really well-funded with deep pockets. So I wanted the, that to be reflected in design as much as possible, like a minimal design, but like a stylish and a facility. And, uh, and then, you know, using like the long corridors, colored stripes, top and bottom, that would give a good like vanishing point, like, you know, uh, one point perspective to create like a longer distance. So things like that, they were like, yeah, they were heavily built into design, like, you know, for look and feel the film, but for story purpose as well. You know, if we had that hundred million budget, he said, we probably would have built the set, but we didn't have that budget. So we had to find a location practically that existed, pre-existed that we could then, you know, work within and augment ourselves. So we ended up in Limerick and, but the location that we found kind of ended up being like a studio in a sense, because it was this like, it was an empty industrial building were like these blank walls and corridors, you know? So we were able to then put a lot of our own style on it and build like mini sets within it, so. The preparation for that sounds like it's, it's a key part of that, especially with a force feature. Would you have you know, imposter syndrome, essentially? You know, you've got somebody like Pollyanna McIntosh who was on Walking Dead, which was at one point the, the biggest show on the planet. Is there any apprehension? Do you ever have a moment kind of, I'm not happy what she's doing. I need to tell her this. Is there any second guessing yourself in those situations? I mean, you definitely have imposter syndrome. I don't know. Well, I did anyway. And like, even, you know, it's very humbling to walk out onto the set and like see all these people like this cast and crew, like working hard to create this thing that th this idea that's been bubbling away in your head for years, you know, and they're looking to you to, okay, tell us what you want us to do. You know, with Pollyanna, I have to say, she was lovely like and Pollyanna's a director as well so that's even more I guess to be worried about like directing but uh, it was never any anything like ego or anything like that she really was great and put me at ease because she was so relaxed and prepared like I typically wouldn't need more than two takes of Pollyanna she would just know it and like in two takes we've after that I'd be kind of just getting greedy like well let's just play with it because you know we already have it but like I, I want a bit more but um, no, she was brilliant and uh, really encouraging and supportive. And that, and then, then I kind of fed into the rest of the cast, like, because a lot of the cast are up and coming. So to see someone, I suppose, with her experience, you know, so at ease and relaxed, I think that that kind of went down through the rest of the cast as well, you know. 
I was actually going to ask you about that. Um, obviously, Millie Brady is kind of the, the anchor of the film as well. But people like Dermot Noyes as well, like Dermot, full disclosure, is a friend of mine. And even then, I kind of found myself at certain points in the film, going, what's this lunatic doing? I was completely immersed in it, which I, I was raging. I had to say that to him as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do you look for? And Because one thing I say it is absolutely perfectly cast. Everyone from the film is kind of going through the spectrum of the effects from, you know, uh, Marcus, who is, you know, fairly level-headed all the way up to, to Ray uh, Dermot's character, who's turning into Begbie, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Casting for that, is there any specific, you know, traits you're looking for in young actors or anyone you, you think, you're, you know, okay, I, I want them because I think that will bring that to the performance? One of the things with casting, I try to not go in with any kind of really strong preconceived ideas because, I mean, I would have had, like, strong ideas for certain characters and then some of the actors that were suggested were, like, totally different than I had pictured but they were bringing something, you just have to be open because they bring something unexpected, but then you're like, oh, that's much better, you know? And that's ultimately what you're hoping for in any form of, whether it's the acting or any other crew, or if someone brings another idea that you didn't expect, but that it's better, you know, you have to be open to it. And we had a great casting director on board this, Amy Rowan. And when we spent months and months casting this, just because it's an ensemble cast, and I'm glad to hear that you say that everyone is, you know, unique. That was the main thing. It was just that to have, you know, if you're casting a group of characters, they all have to like stand out. You know, they have to have their own personality. And I remember, I don't, I can't remember what the director said it, but he he was saying that if you're ever casting an ensemble, you should almost be casting the silhouette. Uh, that they should, you should be able to look at this group in silhouette and know each of the characters. Like uh, that, that that's how individual and unique each character needs to be. So it was a thing of you know casting personality looks physicality and you know putting them all on you know on a board and looking at and how it works as a group and ultimately finding actors who are you know talented but passionate about the work as well Uh, everyone we met or auditioned it was just a uh, it was a conversation to see what they felt about the character and and the film and and to see that they were excited about it and were excited to work as a as a group i believe you had a a great trick for motivating uh, your actors during the scene. I think there was a, a knife scene where, you know, one of your actors was asking for what would be the motivation for this. And I believe you had a, a great comeback for that. I, I what, what was it? Do you tell me? <laughs> Apparently you said because it's in the script. There you go. <laughs> that was probably to Dearman, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We wouldn't dare say that to Pollyanna. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. No, me and Dearman, we'd have good banter. Like, you know, uh, so uh, I don't know if he might be saying it, but he'd be like using a lot of like press ups and stuff in between <laughs> takes to, he really like, like I don't know if you've ever seen The Shining behind the scenes where like Nicholson is yeah. like there's a bit of that going on you know so we were able to have a bit of banter about that I, I know obviously you were involved with the writing of the script as well it was written uh, sorry by Derek McGarrow but you directed it you have a previous background in editing and I kind of feel like there the, you make a film three times during the writing during the shoot and then obviously during the, the edit as well yeah did anything change dramatically between you know the, the process of writing the process of shoot and then editing the film like oh this you know this works in the page but doesn't work film or this work film and it doesn't quite work in the edit well yeah so it was the script and then the script was constantly as I said like change right the, there were sequences that we had to like lose or there was a couple of, like, there was like a character out of monologue, we had to lose it, or there's different things just had to be shot differently, like as we went. But in the edit, um, like one thing, like Blackwood, for example, was much more of a presence in the script. And we shot scenes of the execs from Blackwood. Like, you know, the call that Pollyanna has with Blackwood, there were a few more of those and you actually got to see the people on screen and stuff. But um, 
when we did it, we did a test screening of the film before we locked the edit, and they just weren't it just they didn't test well. And it, I guess the feedback was like, you know, they, it would work better if they're a more faceless villain, which is obvious now when we did it. But at the time, we we're like, oh, okay, like yeah, and sort of things like that that you just don't know until like the the edit will tell you, I suppose, like the, what what's working and what's not. Like you know, um, I'm trying to think of what it, there was. There was some more comedy uh, uh, from Dermot uh, that we had. To, there was one joke that I thought was great. After uh, don't we go into spoiler territory here or no? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Uh, so after Marcus's death, there was uh, I thought it was a great joke, but I always loved it. Was that uh, whenever they just, they're all standing over the body, then Ray he kneels down and uh, takes the salts out of his pocket that he's been, <laughs> and he's like, he's finally got those smelling salts off him. Um, but it just, it was dead in the room when we test that. It was just like, it was with one joke too far for for Ray's character. So that was something we're like, oh, okay, that doesn't work. So you have to like edit. So just things like that that you you think are good on the page or in the- What was the joke that he assaulted him? <laughs> <laughs> this is why i'm on this side of the screen yeah yeah, <laughs> thing, yeah i'm trying to think of what her sequence of deleted there was another character's death um that was significantly changed uh in the edit as well so yeah it's it's a constantly changing thing i suppose you know and i, I know what that is that that classic thing of the three scripts you're right but i think editing is the for me it's my favorite part of the process and it's the most it, it's where you actually write the film really like you know you can say there's the three scripts you're right, but it's like the edit is where you rewrite and and that's ultimately the film, like the final story is going to be made in the edit, you know? Just on jokes there, your, your writer, Dara, actually does stand-up comedy as well. Yeah, that, yeah. Was there ever a discussion between you and him? Okay, might do a comedy. Is that, or is that genre something that would interest you? Well, the first thing we actually collaborated in was like this thing called Talk It Out. It was like back in 2011, 2012. It was for Storyland and it's kind of infancy. Before Storyland, is what it is now i suppose like we had to you only got like these like seven minute episodes and you had to like do like this x factor thing where people have to vote to see if you got to make episode two and, to, uh, and so we got to make two episodes of that but that was like a comedy um and like had peter coonan in it and stuff so yeah no I, it, we did the comedy first and then i don't know um gridlock came after that i mean he does have comedy even in gridlock and this there's still like he would always get a vein of humor throughout um but no i haven't we like our next we're working on our next film now and it's it's another horror thriller so no not a comedy just yet but i think comedy and horror very close they're strange bedfellows or is that the phrase uh because they're the two genres that actually elicit a physical response you know and uh, so yeah so he's doing stand-up and writing horror and i guess the they're informing the other. And you would pick the two most difficult. Like, you know, you kind of judge a horror film or where you're scared, or you judge a comedy or where you laugh and any yeah, yeah, action, yeah. anything else, you can kind of get away with it. Yeah, I liked it. it was, yeah. yeah, true. true. <laughs> <laughs> Just on Gridlock as well. I absolutely love that. And I encourage anyway, it's on YouTube now. It's absolutely fantastic. That was Oscar shortlisted. When you get that kind of that call, do you allow yourself to kind of as I would get completely carried away and just, you know, I'm picturing myself, you know, sitting in the auditorium, about to go up by speeches, practicing in the shower, or were you just kind of, you know, took it with a pinch of salt. We're kind of a very grounded throughout the process. Uh, probably somewhere in between, like, you know, uh, you know, I would be a pessimist. I'd be like, Oh, it's not going to happen. And it didn't, but uh, you know, but there is the party that dreams like, yeah, you do go, oh, what would I say if you did get a pick up, you know? And so it's uh, yeah. Like gridlock was a, a funny one because 
we made Gradelock um, sort of in response to the kind of films that we were seeing at film festivals that were like Oscar worthy or, you know, these like weightier short films about depression and suicide and, you know, some of these like topic heavy short films that what are fine if you, you know, if you're watching 10 of them in a row at the FLA, you're just like, oh, come on, can we can give me something else here? Is there like something entertaining or a bit of bread of fresh air in the middle of them? So uh, I remember saying that to Darks, like, like, let's just make a short film that like, you know, a Twilight Zone episode or something, something that we would, 20 minutes of like a mystery, a whodunit. And, uh, you know, if you saw it at a festival, you go, oh, that, that, that would stand out just because it was, you know, it was entertaining first, I suppose. Uh, so then when it started winning awards and, you know, doing festivals and being as you said oscar like this is uh that was a happy accent really you know what i mean that was great it was encouraged it was like oh great so people you know genre films you know there's still an there's still an appetite for like you know you'd said there as well you're, you're writing your your next film um is that something that you you prefer to do you prefer to do kind of your own original i just remember speaking to to lee crone for the hole in the ground he was very much adamant you know he, he wanted to do a kind of a, a big horror film which obviously he did with, with evil dead rise is there something like that that would appeal to you, or you just gonna you rather focus on your own stories? No, look, uh, I, I, I'm excited for any opportunity. Really, like, no, I just I, we do have a, a a great idea for and a script for this next one that with Derek that I'm excited to do. So hopefully that will be next. But I mean, no, look, if if the Evil Dead Rise was knocking or another something like that, like that would be amazing. Like I I'd love to do something like the Invisible Man. I think like what Leigh Whannell did. Just that idea of like getting a, getting your hands on like an old IP or something and doing like a fresh spin in it. Like I think I thought that was great. Like the Invisible Man and, um, or even what Dan Trackenberg did with Prey, like the Predator franchise, you know? Yeah, that would be great to do something like that. So obviously the, the show is called Extra Vision. We have a section on the show called The X Rental with the idea being if you could go back into an Extra Vision store one more time and pick three films for your, your movie night out or movie night in as it was, what three films would you pick? Yeah, well, so my favorite film is Terminator 2. So then I don't know what I do, like an Arnie night. Would you do like Terminator 2, Predator, and then I think an underrated classic, Last Action Hero? Ah, uh, there you go. There's an Arnie movie night. Like, I think that would be. I recently rewatched that, and that is like, it's it's unironically good. Like, it's not a case of, oh, yeah, no, it's so crappy. This is genuinely one of the best Arnie films. I think, I think it's an incredible performance for Arnie. And like, to do that after Terminator 2. When he's like the biggest star in the world and they just to take the piss out of his action man persona i think is great and it's just like john mccarian i think it's it's hilarious like it's really yeah it's it's really well done it doesn't get enough love i know like mcbain and the simpsons ripped the piss out of it like but uh i think it's a great film i think that's kind of like the new nightmare version before scream like the, it was kind of just a bit ahead of its time i think if you'd released that you know five six years later yeah yeah and the same with actually wes craven's new nightmare have you watched that recently at all yeah like that was just ahead of i mean i know he went on to do scream then like but uh that that just sank but that was like yeah he was on that meta buzz just before, you know a little bit too soon i'm saying a few years maybe just don't release it the same week as jurassic park yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Ian Hunt-Duffy has been an absolute pleasure. The film is double blind. I, I can't recommend it enough. It was absolutely fantastic. It was a genuine pleasure to speak to you today. Thank you so much, Ian. Oh, thanks, Rich. I was really excited to chat to you today, man. So thank you. And thanks for, uh, yeah, for checking out the film.